Greetings, this is Marcus Staples, your servant in Jesus Christ, coming to you with another edition of Unpacking the Theology, the show that unpacks the reason behind the rhyme of Christian hip-hop. On this show, we will be unpacking Shylin's track, Our God is in the Heavens featuring God's Servant, from his album Attributes of God, put out by Lampode Recordings. Now, I like this song because it is a reminder of a single vital truth. And in light of recent events that have been taking place here in the U.S., it's an important one not to forget. Shy's album is as you probably guessed, about the attributes of God. The attribute this song is covering is God's sovereignty. But before we get into it, let's get our scripture verse for today. If you have your Bible, flip on over to Psalms 2. It reads, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, there are many scriptures that depicts God's sovereignty, but I picked this one for a few reasons. The first reason is it's referenced several times in this track. The second reason is it points to God's sovereignty explicitly and in no uncertain terms. And thirdly, it points distinctly to Jesus as the ultimate answer to a feudal world. For more on point number one, you can find the lyrics to this track in, on our website or in the podcast feed. It's pretty self-explanatory if you go ahead and read them. But I want to spend some time on point number two. Because understanding this is becoming more prevalent in this Western culture. See, the Bible's full of God's sovereignty. It's seen in the Old Testament, talked about by Paul, shown in the personal work of Jesus Christ, and so on. Here we see it spelled out plainly and in no uncertain terms. But before I go on... Let me give you a little context. This psalm is the first in a line of messianic psalms. We know this is a messianic psalm because it's quoted seven times in the New Testament. Each time, it's in relation to Christ. We also know that according to Acts 4.25 that this psalm was written by David, probably during a time when his kingship was being established. So, in its earthly context, for what we know about Israel in its time, it fits perfectly. But we can't overlook the prophetic significance behind it. So let's break this down. The psalm starts with, in verses 1-3, through Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, 
Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. All it takes is turning on the news or scrolling down your Facebook feed, and people seem like their sole purpose in life is to discredit or destroy God and Christianity. The most overt example being uh, ISIS's brutal torture and butchering of Christians that's been in the press lately. Christian persecution is happening all over the world. Here in the West, especially in the U.S., we've kind of been exempt from the extremity of some of this, but the times are quickly changing. This is most blatantly seen in the Supreme Court's most recent decision on gay marriage. Since this ruling, more overt attacks on Christianity have been taking place. Uh, some examples are calls for tax-exempt status of churches who won't perform gay marriages to be revoked. Uh, the jailing of the county clerk in Kentucky for refusing to sign gay marriage certificates. And threats of legal action against churches and Christian educational institutions who openly speak about the Bible's opposition to homosexuality. And that's only after a few months. Canadian and European Christians have seen these types of attacks, including jail time and litigation for simply proclaiming that the Bible teaches homosexuality is a sin. Truly, the nations are raging and the people are plotting against God. This trend, though, should come as no surprise. It has been a long time coming. A quote from Phil Johnson. Society has now legitimized fornication, divorce, abortion, and homosexuality. Next will be euthanasia, polygamy, and who knows what kinds of other perversions. And indeed, only a few days after the Supreme Court's ruling, a man in Montana applied for a marriage license for his second wife. And just last week, California passed a right-to-die law legalizing euthanasia. But this is nothing new and should come as no surprise. Romans 8-7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. This is Paul building off of an argument he made earlier in chapter 1, verses 28-32, through 32, where he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. In a world that's hostile to God, it only stands to reason that it will approve of sin and scorn God's law. And looking at this from an earthly perspective, it could be easy to get discouraged. Uh, even those in the visible church are starting to support these blatant attacks on God's law, and they're doing this all in the name of relevance or appealing to the culture. That doesn't make any sense to me. But remember, we as Christians are not exempt from that description above. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. 
Notice Paul uses the past tense, so were some of you. So none of us can look at the world and say that we are exempt from all these sins, because at one point we were, and sometimes still are, caught in these types of sins. The only difference, Paul goes on to say, is that we were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We were all sinners. It was only by God's grace and mercy that we have been saved. So if you try to get self-righteous and take credit for uh, being free from these things, you can't. Paul makes that very, very clear here. So what is God's response to those who vilely scorn and plot against him? Well, he laughs. Verse 4 says, He who sits in the heaven laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. And this isn't a humorous laugh, it's a scornful one. The rage and the plots of the people are simply vanity, due to the fact that God is sovereign. But they don't see it. Their attacks are like an ant trying to thwart the curiosity of a small child with a magnifying glass. Verse 5 and 6 go on to say, Then he will speak to them in his wrath, and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God's not laughing at them like a bouncer laughs at a kid trying to use a fake ID. It's not simply a laughter at their pitiful attempt to overthrow his domain and rule. It's a laughter of judgment, a laugh that will strike fear into the hearts of those who hear it. And in all their futile attempts to overthrow God, God has already saw their failure by seating his son on the throne. 7-9 through nine tell this tale, in the words of the son, quoting the father. He says, I will tell of the decree. Yahweh says to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. See, their fate is sealed. God has already rendered the judgment by giving the world to his son, and has already, notice the past tense here, decreed that they will be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. It's so easy to look at all that's going on in the world around us and despair. And from an earthly perspective, you have a reason to despair. I mean, it won't be pleasant. Chances are it's only going to get worse for Christians here in the West. From now being openly snubbed and ridiculed, to being oppressed, and ultimately being persecuted. But this shouldn't alarm us. Jesus warns us that this would be the case. However, if we have an earthly view, the only result is to become despondent. But, if we have a heavenly perspective, we understand that none of this is outside of God's control. Which leads to the final point, the answer to the futility of this world. The final verses of the chapter say, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry with you, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Fear Yahweh and trust in the Son. Put away the futility of your rebellion, which will ultimately lead to your destruction. And as we see here, it is only in the Son that the wrath of God is put aside. This has just been an overview of this psalm, and if you'd like a more in-depth study, you can check out Phil Johnson from Grace Life Pulpit's sermon, He Who Sitteth in the Heavens Shall Laugh, which is linked in the podcast description. Shylin's track, Our God is in the Heavens, is a brilliant reminder of the sovereignty of our Lord. And while this psalm shows God's sovereignty over those in rebellion, Shai and God's servant are quick to remind us that God's sovereignty is over everything and everyone, in every circumstance. As Psalm 115 verse 3 says, 
Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. For more about the nature and character of Yahweh our Father, check out Shylin's album, Attributes of God. You can find a link to purchase it on our website, unpackingthetheology.wordpress.com. As always, if you have any songs you would like us to unpack, please leave us a note in the comments section, or use the link to find us on Google+. We hope you can join us for our next unpacking. Thank you, and God bless. He does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases.